This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Good morning, you're listening to Pressing Matters, the show where we go beyond the headlines and explore issues driving the press. I'm Philip C. Now, today's show, I speak to Dr. Abdurrahman Yaakob. He's a research fellow in the Southeast Asia program at the Lowy Institute, as we have a discussion with him on how ASEAN has been responding to the Israeli-Palestine conflict taking place in Gaza. Good morning, Dr. Rahman. Really nice uh, for you to join us today. Could you just help us articulate what is the unified response to the conflict from ASEAN? Is is there one actually? Is there a unified response by ASEAN? Because it doesn't look like it based on press reports. First and foremost, uh, we look at ASEAN as an uh, organization uh, as a whole. I think uh, ASEAN did not issue any statement for a few days until the uh, recent ASEAN summit with the Gulf Cooperation Council. Uh, I think in that statement, it condemned uh, all attacks against civilians. But then I think beyond the, uh, uh, below the ASEAN level, if you look at the uh, individual ASEAN countries, uh, there's a whole spectrum of uh, response to the conflicts in the Middle East. I think on one hand, if you look at uh, countries like Brunei, Malaysia and Indonesia, where uh, it is a, they are Muslim majority countries, they have a dis- different response to the crisis uh, as compared to Singapore. I think based on my assessments, this could be because of the, uh, what they call it, the external or domestic factors that influence the way they respond. Uh, if you don't mind, I mean, I can go a bit further to explain uh, the spectrum. Okay, I think if you look at Brunei, Malaysia, Indonesia, they have a large Muslim populations and every political party or politicians or government, the first priority is the regime survival. How do they get support to uh, from the populations to make sure that the regime survive? And given that most of the populations are Muslims, they have to listen to the street. What are the interests of the streets? If the populations or the streets or at the street level, they are concerned about the Palestinian issue, and that is something that they have to cater to. Uh, and that's why we can see, for example, in uh, Jakarta and in Malaysia, Kuala Lumpur, there have been a bit of protests uh, against the uh, Israelis and uh, against the Americans. And these are the things that the local governments have to listen to. And then, of course, they will have to uh, push the agenda uh, and to be critical of the Israelis. On the other hand, if we look at Singapore, for example, uh, historically, Singapore has a close defense relations with Israel. You know, I think uh, you know that after Singapore gained independence from uh, Malaysia in 1965, uh, immediately our defense minister then, uh, Mr. Goh Kring Sui, actually approached the Israelis for military assistance. And that relations have lasted up until now. So again, that close uh, defense relations has an impact on how Singapore perceived that conflict. And it's so interesting. You explain that it's a two-layered response. It's an ASEAN response, which is very yeah. general and diluted in nature. But yeah. the respective countries have a very clear tone, right? Uh, and there's a distinction here. Can we just deep dive a bit on the Singapore side? Because you talk a lot about the bilateral relationship between Israel and Singapore being very strong due to yeah. its history. But the, what is the sentiment on the ground in, in non-Muslim majority countries? like Singapore, right, against the conflict? Do you have a sense about that? Uh, it's quite a good question, though, because uh, it's quite a complex affair. Uh, in the case of Singapore, they have a sizable Muslim minority, and that's something that the government have to be very careful of. So 
in the in the case of Singapore, if you look at it, uh, in the in the first few days after the crisis, I think the Singapore government issued a very, I would say, a very strong statement against Hamas. And of course, uh, I think one or two days later, we have uh, Mr. Bilahari Kosikan, former Singapore top diplomat. He issued uh, something on his, uh, I think, Facebook account. He was very critical about certain ASEAN members that uh, argued for the roots of the crisis in the Middle East to be addressed. But having said that, if you notice a few days after the harsh uh, statements on Hamas, I think the Singapore government assessed that, look, we have a sizable Muslim community. And then uh, when I look at the social media, there have been a strong exchange between, I would say, the Muslim and the non-Muslim in Singapore. And it might affect the uh, social cohesion and uh, inter-ethnic or religious uh, relations in Singapore. And I think one thing I observed suddenly a few days later, the uh, Singapore Home Affairs Ministry Minister, Mr. Shanmugam, argued that it is possible to be able to understand the Palestinians' concerns or crisis, but at the same time condemning Hamas' actions. So I think there's a softer uh, tone in the, by the Singaporean government. And of course, uh, surprisingly, we have the uh, Singaporean uh, president and the uh, Singaporean prime minister. Uh, they sent out a letter of uh, to their Palestinian counterparts to express their concerns about the crisis in Gaza and the humanitarian uh, crisis that the Palestinians are facing. And of course, they also donated, or the Singapore government donated about $300,000 to the humanitarian crisis in the Middle East. So I would say that uh, countries like Singapore really they have to balance between, at the strategic level, their relations with Israel, but also at the domestic level, how they should manage relations among the different ethnic group or the different religious group. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Singapore is not alone. Uh, Philippines, for example, uh, Manila issued a strong statement against the uh, Hamas. But of course, at the uh, domestic level, we have the southern Philippines. I think the Bangsamo, the government, they express concerns about the Palestinians' issues. Uh, causes actually, uh, so I think the government they try to balance uh, the need between uh, to show that they are against uh, Hamas attacks, but of course they have also to consider domestic issues. You can bucket it into three sections. One where and it's all kind of domestic related. There is a very strong Muslim majority population like Malaysia, Indonesia, oh. Brunei. Very clear, right, uh, with yeah. respect to the context here. And then you have the likes of Singapore, Philippines, and even Thailand, right, where they also have a sizable Muslim presence in specific regions or a, a mm -hmm. specific portion of the population. So it's yeah. a tightrope they have to walk fundamentally in whether they condemn and whether they position themselves here. I think that's a big challenge. Yeah. I wonder what you think about other, you know, like specifically Indochina. How do they think about it? Again, uh, if you look at uh, the uh, strategic point of view, uh, the Middle East issue doesn't have that much impact domestically, with the exception of, uh, for example, Thailand. They have about, I think, 20 or 30,000 workers there. So there's an impact. But that's why when I look at the uh, statement issued by uh, Cambodia and Laos, Vietnam, it's a bit neutral. They just express their concerns about the uh, impact of the crisis on uh, the civilians. Uh, but they, does, they did not take any side. Uh, they did not criticize Hamas harshly, or they don't even support the Israelis. So again, I think from the uh, Indo-Chinese pers uh, Indo-China uh, Chinese countries' perspective, this issue is a bit distant from them, and uh, there's not much of interest at this point in time. It's such varying responses coming through in ASEAN. 
And that explains why the ASEAN response is diluted, isn't it? It becomes really just all about disavowing violence as a whole. Generally. Mm. Then, then that makes ASEAN very ineffective, right, as a combined entity in staking its claim or making its position clear. I mean, you contrast that with the rest of the world. They are mm. more bold, they are stronger in terms of their response. ASEAN seems very weak in its response as a whole. Uh, again, I would say that it's a, a strength of ASEAN, for example, because uh, if you look at uh, ASEANs from the historical perspective, uh, even when they were at the formation of ASEAN, they have a different uh, concern. And of course, if you know the ASEAN members initially, they have uh, issues with each other. So they employ this idea or this concept of uh, non-interference uh, in each other affair. Each one of them can take different positions. Uh, of course, uh, I think we have some uh, observer who argue that this actually weakens ASEAN. But I will argue that it is uh, ASEAN strength because they are able to agree to disagree and respect each other's positions. Yeah. If you look even at EU, after the uh, EU's, I think the president, if I'm not mistaken, uh, she passed a harsh comments against Hamas and I think expressed her support to the Israeli government. I think there are some EU countries that actually criticize her for taking that uh, I would say, a strong position to support Israel. So even with uh, regional organizations like the EU, they have a bit of a disagreement. Uh, I think ASEANs, I would say that at the leaders itself, uh, at the leaders' level itself, they say, look, I think everyone can take their own positions. We will not criticize each other. And I think the common ground that they have is that, look, uh, they will condemn all attacks against civilians. But whether they are siding with the Hamas, with the Palestinian cause, or with the Israelis, I think there will be that will be up to the uh, individual government uh, to take on. And back again to the central question. I mean, this conflict feels local, but actually has global implications, right, for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, I want to get your thoughts, right? Do you think the way the world will handle the, this conflict will also shape how ASEAN has to approach conflicts nearer to its home, like Myanmar or East Timor? All along, we have known that ASEAN have a uh, difficulty to deal with uh, crisis in Myanmar, I think uh, I've spoken to quite a number of ASEAN countries, different officials actually, uh, about the situation in Myanmar and I think all agree that uh, there is a no common approach at this point in time so to deal with Myanmar because certain countries like for example Thailand they have a certain security uh, immediate concerns regarding along their borders with Myanmar and uh, of course uh, Malaysia have a large number of uh, Myanmar Rohingya refugees in Malaysia and of course they are taking a bit of stronger positions similar to Indonesia. Again, I would say that it's a bit difficult for ASEAN to deal with uh, the Myanmar crisis because of uh, again the discrepancy or the different position each member states is taking. I would say even the South China Sea, uh, for example, the dispute in the South China Sea, I think ASEAN's different ASEAN countries have a different take on it. Some ASEAN countries have been called China proxy again. It is uh, because of uh, they have been perceived to be uh, supporting China instead of ASEAN positions. But if you look uh, holistically, uh, ASEAN is just not a security organization or political organization. It includes economic and social domain too. And in the economic and the social domains, it's something that ASEAN or ASEAN member states are able to work well, better. I will argue that, look, uh, you can't say that ASEAN is not working well because 20% of it, uh, they're not working well on 20% of it. But I mean, the other 80% economic, social issues, they are working well. Yeah. Uh, but I do agree with you that ASEAN have uh, work cut out to deal with the crisis in Myanmar and of course in the South China Sea. If it's not able to deal with the crisis closer to home, I think its image at the global level will may be affected. We're heading into some messages and when we come back, we continue our discussion with Dr. Abdurrahman Yaakob, Research Fellow in the Southeast Asia Program at the Lowy Institute. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9.
Thanks for staying tuned to Pressing Matters on the Morning Run. Today, I have on the show with me Dr. Abdul Rahman Yaakob from the Lowy Institute as we have a discussion with him on how ASEAN governments have been responding to the Israeli-Palestine conflict. Dr. Rahman, let's shift the conversation now to how uh, this global, how the global community has responded to the conflict. I mean, the West has been generally quite pro-Israel, while China has taken a much more nuanced, neutral stance, asking for a rapid de-escalation of the conflict. I wonder in your mind, do you think this conflict could shape a realignment of the current global geopolitical conflict we see now taking place? Do you think many ASEAN governments are going to repivot and be more closely aligned to China? I think if we for if we look at this crisis per se, China is not uh, an important factor in determining in the uh, in determining how ASEAN's response to the Israeli's uh, Hamas conflict. Uh, I would argue that it is between the West and the South, global South. If uh, we look at it, even the uh, African countries, uh, South Africa, for example, uh, they have uh, expressed concern about what's going on uh, in the Middle East, and they have expressed support to the Palestinians. But I would argue that I will agree that look, uh, China, the voice of China, have actually provided. Uh, uh, an escape route, I would say. Uh, escape route. Voice of resort. Oh, yeah. an alternative positions for certain country to move away f- yeah. from the West. Yeah. Put it this way. I think many countries in the world, uh, especially in ASEAN, uh, they have benefited from the rise of China economically. And uh, if you look at uh, the Western country in terms of the economic relations, uh, trade relations, for example, they are not doing as well as the one that we have with China. So at the global level, I think certain global crises, we will see that China will be able to exert certain influence. And of course, so ASEAN countries, certain ASEAN countries will take a position similar to China because yeah. of certain trade issue. And I think this will lead to a more multipolar world. And I think this is the, the, something that the West or the US have to learn to accept in the future. Yes, it's interesting because, yes, China may not want to use this political position to attract supporters, but the West's position could result in many countries moving away from being allied to the West, isn't it? Because of the West's very strident position on this. Yes, I think if you look at some of the ASEAN countries, when I spoke to uh, certain ASEAN uh, officials uh, from a certain country, I can't mention them, their name there. One thing that they pointed out is the, uh, the way the West have responded to the Ukraine, uh, Ukrainian crisis and how they respond to the Middle East, uh, the crisis in the Middle East now. So they pointed out that, look, the, the way the West responds is different. So they argue that, look, the Ukrainians are given uh, are given a lot of leeway to resist the uh, Russian invasions of uh, Ukraine. But they argue that, look, the Palestinians are resisting against the Israeli occupation. So why are they being uh, criticized to defend their right to their homeland? So again, uh, the, some of the ASEAN officials, they look at the way the West deal with uh, the different global crises, and then they identify that actually there's an inconsistency in the way the West apply, for example, the human rights or the right to defense uh, their uh, I mean, uh, homeland, for example. So they once they see that they, there is this inconsistency, they say, look, I, do, I don't think the West has the right to tell us what to do or who should we support. Yeah. And uh, this is the thing that I've, I've noticed uh, in my engagement with uh, certain or some ASEAN defense officials. If you look at the Russia-Ukraine conflict, I mean, there are neutral countries like Turkey that were staging areas for negotiations. I wonder if ASEAN can play this role in being a mediator or even being in staging ground for some peace, peace process. Because really now when you look at what's happening in the Middle East, everyone is, I think, perhaps partisan or they've got a view to it. And there's so many summits taking place. But I wonder if you need ASEAN can play a role here in being a mediator in your view. 
Well, I'm going to be a, a pessimist in that <laughs> to answer that question. I would say the uh, no, I don't think ASEAN can play any any role uh, for, uh, to deal with that crisis in the Middle East. Uh, I think it needs countries in that regions to be the middle power, uh, to be the middleman to deal with the crisis. If you look at uh, Qatar and Egypt, uh, to some extent, they have uh, negotiated for the release of certain hostages. So I think the country in that region will play a more significant role as the middleman or to deal with the crisis. I think ASEAN has more things to deal with. The South China Sea and the Myanmar issue, I think we should focus on that. And, yeah. and just coming back again to the original concept that you had, which is that our response is very much shaped by our domestic environment with what's actually happening on the street. And notably, of course, everyone here in ASEAN is looking at what's next, which is the Indonesian presidential elections. Yeah. Maybe this conflict will feature quite heavily in the upcoming elections. Or do you feel that everybody has the same position about this conflict and it's just about who is being most strident about it? I mean, I agree with your point. The uh, Palestinian issue is a factor in their presidential election. And I think firstly, because the majority of the populations are Muslims, uh, but Andy... And this crisis is not only per, uh, peculiar to this uh, uh, particular, I would say, election. So even in the 2014 elections, uh, Prabowo and then uh, Jokowi, the both of them were the candidates then, both of them actually pledged assistance to the Palestinians at the campaigning stage. So this uh, Palestinian issue has uh, has been a key factor that all presidential candidates in the Indonesian elections have to consider. I think there are strong emotions in the uh, Indonesian streets which cannot be ignored by all the candidates. So they have to uh, include the Palestinian crisis as uh, part of their campaign. Even for Malaysia too. I mean, Malaysia for now, from my assessments, uh, there's a rise of conservatism and uh, Prime Minister Anwar will have to compete with a more conservative group in Malaysia. I think recently there was a call for peacekeeping force, uh, to Malaysian peacekeeping force to be sent to Palestine uh, in the Malaysian parliament. I think the call is made without much consideration and there's a few factors that I would say why that call is not very logical. I think the word peacekeeping means that there is a peace to be kept, but and peacekeeping can only occur when the fighting has ended, but there is no peace now. And uh, yep. secondly, we look at the legal issue. I mean, there is no UN mandate for now to have, for any peacekeeping operations to uh, to take place. And because of that, will Israel respect any peacekeeping effort? Uh, and of course, there's uh, many other considerations that mm. whoever that proposed the uh, peace, Malaysia to send that peacekeeping uh, force actually didn't consider. Yeah, but I think the insidious perspective here is that it's not peacekeeping, right? It's actually military operations that some of these people in parliament are calling for, isn't it? That is the overriding sentiment that people feel that they need to pursue and fight for the Palestinian cause. Hence, you know, they they put peacekeeping as the boogeyman, but that's not the case, yeah. isn't it? Yes, but again, yeah, you have to be you have you have to be very logical. When you want to take a military actions, you have that military capability in the first place, and of course, it does exactly. not make sense. Yeah, uh, you just do not fly any military transport aircraft to Palestine or to Gaza directly. Yeah. So a few questions have to be asked: whether is there any nearest airport? or naval base for you to deploy your troops there. Uh, and of course, you need permissions from Egypt and Jordan. They are the nearest countries in the region, uh, in, in Gaza. And of course, you have to identify the supply line for the Malaysian troops. Uh, you just can't send the Malaysian troops there. And then after that, look, there's no way we can supply them. So what happened to the Malaysian troops there? And I would argue that any military deployment must be shaped by intelligence and logical thinking, not by emotions. And I think that's 
the thing that Malaysia have to really consider. Emotions are high and I, that's understandable. But look, uh, if you send the military forces there, what will happen? What can you do? Yeah, will you make things worse? Yeah. But this is the interesting thing, isn't it? What you call for is a thoughtful, calculated response. Uh, and here, what I feel is that it's so emotive here that maybe the government is then viewed as not effective in doing this. Do you worry that there's this possibility of, you know, in-ground terrorism being created here in the process of this conflict, right? Since you don't see the governments here taking, taking a very relatively neutral stance there. I mean, it's not neutral in, in its response, but neutral holistically in action. Yes, uh, I think you made a good point there because, look, uh, there will be some group of people that look uh, who argue that we have to do something, we have to take part in the military actions, and if they perceive the government is seem to be like a weak in their response, they will say, look, maybe let's travel to Gaza. But if they can't travel to Gaza, what's the next best thing? Is to attack either the American or the Israeli targets in your country. Yeah, And I think based on my work experience, uh, I was in uh, a government ser uh, servant in Singapore for about 18 years looking at uh, domestic security. I am quite, I would be very concerned about, say, lone wolf attacks. Somebody that uh, have been too, I would say, influenced by the situations in the Middle East and decided to take actions on its own. And it is possible, it's easy for you to be influenced by uh, online mullah or an extremist group and you decide to launch an attack against uh, certain Western interests uh, in, in either Malaysia or in Singapore, in Indonesia, because that is an e they will be an easy target as compared to going to the Middle East and uh, things like that. Yeah. So I think uh, domestically, uh, the uh, Southeast Asians or uh, intelligence agency, I think they should monitor uh, homegrown terrorist groups or extremist groups because the situation in the Middle East, if the crisis goes on longer and then as we see more and more uh, civilian casualties in Gaza or in the West Bank, I think the emotions may, be, may go off control and then we may have some extremist group that will decide to take actions on their own. That was Dr. Abdul Rahman Yaakob, Research Fellow in the Southeast Asia Program at the Lowy Institute. This has been Pressing Matters on the Morning Run. Coming up next is the 10 a.m. News Bulletin, followed by Enterprise, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.